Will you discover the legendary city of the dolphins? You are a summer intern at the renowned Dolphin Institute in Hawaii, hoping to help find the fabled underwater city of the dolphins and make scientific history. As you're nearing the spot where the treasure-filled city is believed to lie, your group is approached by some boaters. When they press you for details about what you're doing, your suspicions are aroused. But how much should you reveal? If you decide to tell them the truth, turn to page 30. If you make up another story, turn to page 70. Think carefully before you decide. If you trust the boaters, they might do as you ask and leave the area. Or they could double-cross you and claim the treasures of the Dolphin City for themselves. What happens to you next in the story? It all depends on the choices you make. How does the story end? Only you can find out. And the best part is that you can keep reading and rereading until you've had not one, but many incredibly daring experiences. You're the star. 11 exciting endings. Choose Your Own Adventure Book 134, Secret of the Dolphins by Edward Packard. Illustrated by Tom Lapadula. <laughs>
You're glad of that because you'll be spending the next two months at the Dolphin Institute. Feels like this is a choose your own adventure book. We should get to decide whether or not we like him. <laughs> yes. And if we want to spend the next two months at the Dolphin Institute. Sure. You're awarded a scholarship for the Institute's summer program. And you and the two other summer interns will be helping the scientists there in their study of dolphins. The Institute is paying your airfare, room, and board, plus a small stipend. Oh, we're not unpaid, necessarily. We aren't. The grad student might be. You don't know yet what project you'll be working on, but you like dolphins. And even more, you like the idea of spending the summer in Hawaii. Yeah, that's right. You could give or take dolphins. You really wanted a vacation. Banta drives you along a winding, mountainous road from which you occasionally get spectacular views of the sea. You lean forward in your seat to take in the lush scenery on both sides of the road. Glancing up, you see a blimp pass overhead. You smile as you read the sign on it. Don't miss Maui. It's beautiful here, you say. Is that an air dolphin? <laughs> I have no complaints, Banta says, flashing you a smile. Do you have any questions about the Institute? How many people work there, you ask? Well, Dr. Vivaldi's in charge. Oh, great. Awesome. Besides her, there's just a marine biologist, a zoologist, and myself. Plus, visiting scientists who drop in from time to time and student interns. Is he a zoologist? Yes. What sort of work have you been doing? The Institute was founded six years ago, and most of our work has involved studying dolphin societies. But a year ago, we began an intensive study of dolphin communication. We believe that someday humans and dolphins will be able to talk to each other. But there are lots of problems to be solved. In fact, just figuring out what the problems are is quite a task. He glances at you. But I have a feeling we're going to make a breakthrough this summer. I don't want to hear what dolphins are talking about. Sounds as if I got here just in time, you say with a grin. Are there other scientists studying dolphin communication? There are, Banta says. Dolphin communication is a pretty hot topic right now but none of the other teams is as advanced as we are. In fact, we actually have to worry about spies. There are plenty of people who don't have respect for dolphins, but want to use them for their own selfish purposes. I think there was more dolphin research going on in the 80s than the 90s. Yeah, I mean, but I still... That's when they seemed like they were really interested in, like, whale songs and figuring out whale songs. Mm. So, I don't know. We don't give a crap anymore. <laughs> I don't remember any of that shit in the 90s. Like in the 90s, we just wanted to drink Mountain Dew and ride skateboards. When did Star Trek... Uh, that was the 80s. Four, four yes. like end of the 80s. Yeah. I don't even know if it was the end of the 80s. I felt like it was. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I guess Free Willy came out in the early 90s, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there was some... Maybe, yeah, maybe that's why we were hyper-focused over, over on this coast. Especially in this state, because he lived here for a while. Before he went mad. Everything from finding sunken treasure to terrorist activities. Wait, what? Yep. The dolphins. The dolphins. Other people find treasure use. and engage in terrorist activities. Yes. Yeah, other people want to use them for that. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. The jeep passes over the crest of a hill, and there stretched out before you are the pale blue waters of Lualee Cove. Banta turns onto the winding gravel driveway that leads to a comfortable-looking rustic lodge. About a dozen smaller cabins are scattered alongside the cove. Was this summer camp? I want to go to Hawaiian summer camp. Yeah. 
A dock extends out into the water in front of the main lodge. A couple of sea skiffs are tied to the pilings alongside the dock, and a large catamaran is moored 200 feet offshore. Banta takes you into the lodge and introduces you to the staff members. Then he shows you around the grounds. This used to be a resort, he says. Until Jason came. (laughs) (laughs) So you're talking about me for a minute and then... (laughs) (laughs) The owner became fascinated by all the dolphins that came into the cove. Then he retired. Dolphin Jason came. <laughs> then he retired. He donated the entire place to the Dolphin Institute. Our director, Dr. Nira Vivaldi, lives in the main lodge. You'll be staying in the lodge too, along with the other two summer interns, Karen Myers and Dave Chang. The other staff members and I live in the cabins, but we all work in the main lodge when we're not out on the water or under it. Or being murdered by Jason. Can we drink on the beach? I would like to ask that question of him. (laughs) We are children. The answer is a resounding yes. (laughs) What's Hawaii's uh, drinking policy on minors? Probably the same as the rest of the U.S. Yep. Boo. You look out over the sparkling waters of the cove. I hope I get a chance to do some sailing, you say eagerly. I've never done it before. (laughs) You sure will. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Frank Schaefer is in charge of all the boats. He'll teach you everything you need to know, but I'll give you your first instruction right now. If you're ever out sailing and you see three red squares flying from the flagpole and hear a siren, come back in right away. It means there's a tsunami warning. Oh, just keep going. You're fine. Tsunami? You repeat? Really? <laughs> For fuck's sake. We're from the middle of the country. We don't know. You mean a tidal wave? Right. (laughs) We tend to have one every few years, and we're about due for one now. They occur anytime there's an earthquake under the Pacific. I hope I miss the next one, you say. You won't. The end. Are the other two interns here yet? They are. They went into town with Dr. Vivaldi to get supplies. You'll meet all three of them at dinner. You glance around. So where are the dolphins? I thought they'd be in a big pool, but I don't see one. (laughs) Most people see dolphins in marine parks, so they expect that, Banta says. But we believe you can't learn to communicate with dolphins by cooping them up in tanks, no matter how many fish you feed them. That's why we study the dolphins exclusively in their natural environment. We just yell at them as they go by. Do you have a net at the entrance to the cove to keep them from escaping? The scientist shakes his head. The dolphins are free to come and go, but they like it here. Some dolphins go away for months at a time, but they nearly always come back. We feed them real good. What was that movie where they tried, they had the dolphin in like, the communicating dolphin in the tank? And like, was that Johnny Mnemonic? Yeah, it was Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get some Johnny Mnemonic dolphins up in here. That's what we need. There are some now, you exclaim. You've just spotted the graceful arched backs of two dolphins, surfacing and then diving as they swim past the dock. Banta shields his eyes and looks out over the water. Alceste and Hermione. I can tell by their markings. Did you say words? I did. (laughs) I got Hermione. Alceste has a nick in his dorsal fin. They probably know a new intern has arrived and have decided to investigate. You're kidding. Banta raises one eyebrow. I think I'm kidding, he says, but who knows? That night you meet the other interns, Karen and Dave, who are both about your age. 
Karen is from Iowa, and she's never seen the ocean before, much less a dolphin. Oh, how did she get the scholarship? Dave is from Los Angeles. He plans to be a marine biologist someday. And Why is he from Los Angeles? Because he is. <laughs> that's, how we're, that's how we're saying it now. That's okay. how we're saying it. All right. He plans to be a marine biologist someday, and he's been on a couple of whale watch trips where he saw dolphins swim alongside his ship. Oddly enough, he's never seen the ocean either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more interested in dolphins than whales because they're closer to human size, he says. I feel Logic. we can really get... <laughs> I feel we can really get to know them. Oh, they'll get to know you already. <laughs> you also meet Dr. Nero Vivaldi, the director of the Institute. She's a small, gray-haired woman who must be well up into her 60s, but she looks as trim and fit as an athlete. She's also crazy. She also is a specialist in every single field you can think of. Yep. There's a pool table in the lodge, and after dinner you start a game with Karen and Dave. Dr. Vivaldi joins you for, a, for your second game. You three picked a good summer to be here, she tells you. We're on the edge of a breakthrough in dolphin communication, and you're likely to be here when it happens. She hustles you for $500. And a timeshare. <laughs> so how exactly do they know that they're on a breakthrough? I'm sure they know. They're hey. scientists. Well, if the dolphin has never said anything that they can understand, how would they actually Yeah, they've know? learned the curses, because you always learn the curses first. Yep. They turns haven't out, just broke the rest of it. Turns out that's all dolphins do is just curse. <laughs> that's, that sounds accurate. That night, you're almost too excited to sleep. You can't wait to see what the summer holds in store. Your biological clock hasn't yet adjusted to the change in time zones between <laughs> the mainland and Hawaii. We're ready to have kids. Uh. It's barely getting light the next morning when you sit up in bed, wide awake and ready to go. You head down to the dining room to see if you can get some breakfast. To your surprise, Banta is already there, sipping coffee and reading a scientific journal. He looks up as you enter. You're up early, he says with a smile. The cook's not here yet, but there's plenty of milk and juice in the fridge, and you can help yourself to fresh pineapple, cereal, bananas, toast, whatever you want. Dolphin meat. Yes, we have plenty of dolphin meat. While you're at it, put some bread in the toaster for me, will you? I no. don't know. I don't know how to toast. I'm not your servant. Sure, you go to work in the kitchen. While you're waiting for the toast to pop, Banta comes in to pour himself some more coffee. See, we're coming up and getting in here anyway. Mm -hmm. Yep. Let me make your toast. What's scheduled for today, you ask? Not much, actually. Since it's Sunday, I'm going to spend most of the day in the lab listening to tapes. I think I'm close to a discovery about what dolphins say to each other. That's how we're doing it. We're just listening to tapes on repeat until yeah, we figure it out. But he's just listening to like the police and Cindy Lauper and stuff in there. Maybe he's playing the police and Cindy Lauper for the dolphins and seeing what they say back. No, he thinks that the police and Cindy Lauper are dolphins and he's figuring oh. out what they're saying. <laughs> that makes sense. That's cool. Can I come listen to the tapes? Are you a linguist? Then no. The scientist takes a sip of his coffee. You're welcome to join me, though I'm afraid you might get pretty bored, sitting around listening to whistles and clicks. It's going to be a beautiful day. I heard the other interns talking about trying out the sailboats. Frank Schaefer is a real pro at windsurfing. I know he'd be glad to give you some lessons. You glance out at the cove shimmering in the early morning light. Windsurfing sounds like a lot of fun. 
On the other hand, Banta said he might be on the verge of a new discovery. It would be awfully exciting to be part of it. If you decide to go windsurfing, turn to page 40. If you decide to join Banta in the lab, turn to page 114. I'd rather get yelled at by a salty sea dog than try to figure out what dolphins are talking about. All right. I don't really want to go windsurfing. You know, you want to go, you want to go figure out the dolphin thing? Well, if the choice is that or winds, like if it was sailing, Mm. then sure. But I don't give a shit about windsurfing. I feel like this is going to devolve into like windsurf champion. (laughs) True. Okay, we can go listen to the dolphins. All right, let's listen to the dolphins. I mean, fingers crossed you have to make some dolphin sounds. (laughs) I do. Okay, well, watch the levels while you're doing that. You decide to spend the day with Banta. He leads you to his lab, a soundproof room at the back of the lodge. He points at various pieces of special equipment. You'll be hearing the sounds of our dolphins on that speaker. They're from a recording I made just yesterday. The sound waves will be displayed graphically on that video screen. This machine over here prints the readout on a long roll of paper. The lines look squiggly and meaningless, but we can often find patterns in them that we wouldn't notice just listening to the tapes. Banta flips a switch. Listen to this. A moment later, you hear a dolphin call. Then a series of clicks. Then a sound like a warbling bird. The sounds are pretty and interesting, but you don't know how anyone could figure out what they mean. Banta looks quite excited, however. Can you tell what the dolphins are saying, you ask? I have a few ideas, he says. But I have to run this acoustical data through the computer. It's programmed to identify patterns of sound and suggest ways they might relate to each other. Riveting. (laughs) I hope the other two entrants fell off their windsurfers and drowned. Banta seems hypnotized by the tapes, but you're beginning to wish you'd you'd gone Dolphin windsurfing. Mind control. <laughs> yeah. But you're beginning to wish you'd gone windsurfing with the others. You're not being any help to Banta sitting here, and it doesn't seem as if he's going to be making any breakthroughs today after all. Finally, the tape ends. The room is silent Thank again. Thank God. And the printer stops spewing out paper. Banta entered some commands into the computer, then he turns around and notices you sitting there. He starts, and you realize that he must have forgotten you were in the room. Oh, sorry, I don't think I'm explaining enough, he says. The sounds you just heard were a conversation between Alceste and Hermione. They were plotting her murder. The computer may tell us more in a few minutes, but I think that they were talking about a school of fish they'd found. Really? You can tell that? Yes, but that alone is not a big achievement. Just because a dolphin makes a sound that means fish over that way doesn't mean they'll be able to talk with us. Then why did you think you were on the brink of a discovery? That's what I want to know. I'll show you, Banta says. He inserts a different tape into the machine and switches it on. Dolphin sounds fill the room. The monitor and the printer start up again. All they talk about is fucking and fish. And fucking fish. And fucking fish. You close your eyes and listen as carefully as you can. It's impossible to tell if any of the sounds mean anything in particular, but one thing you notice is that the sounds on this tape seem much more complicated and varied than those on the first one. Once you even hear a sound like a flipper slapping the water, as if a dolphin might be gesturing to make a point, the thought makes you smile, though you know it's rather far-fetched. The tape ends. Banta cuts the scroll that has been printed out. 
Then he picks up the first scroll and pins the two tapes, one above the other, one on the wall. He turns to you. You've heard the tapes. Here's how they look. Notice anything different about them? The bottom one, the second recording, looks much more complicated, you say. It has all sorts of extra squiggles and blips. Banta nods. No doubt about it. Whatever the dolphins were saying to each other, it's certain that they were communicating something much more complicated on the second recording than the first. But how does that help us? Banta apparently doesn't hear your question. He has returned to the computer and is busy punching in more commands. Without turning to look at you, he says, I'm hooking this into the supercomputer at the University of Hawaii. It's too sophisticated for our equipment to handle alone. Why do you think the second tape is so different from the first, you ask? Because they're fucking with us. We can't be sure, Banta says, but it's significant that the first tape was made when the dolphins knew we were around, while the second one was made late at night with a secretly hidden microphone. Oh. <laughs> they are plotting our death. <laughs> we're just secretly taping them without their knowledge. That's fantastic. You mean they say things when they think they're alone that they don't when humans are around? Banta grins. That's exactly what I mean. Now I'm going to say some things when just you are around. <laughs> I wouldn't say when other people are around. At that moment, Dr. Vivaldi comes in and ruins your private time. Mm. <laughs> there you are, she says to you. Now I was I'm going to say some things when you guys are around that I wouldn't say when other people are around. <laughs> I was going to take the interns on a drive around the island. I hear Karen and Dave went windsurfing, but maybe you'd like to come with me. Yeah, they're slackers. Fuck them. It will give you a chance to see some of the great scenery we have around here. You glance at Banta. Go ahead, he says. We can't do anything more until I get my analysis back from the supercomputer. I should have it by late this evening. Then he explains to Dr. Vivaldi what he's discovered. Jack! Wait, what has he discovered? Right. <laughs> this is very exciting, she says. Is it? Let's discuss it tomorrow at breakfast. <laughs> That's not that exciting, I guess. <laughs> For now, why don't you take a couple of hours off and come along on our drive? Sounds great, he replies. I wanted to sit in the lab and daydream about dolphins some more, though. Let's go. I guess we could take the tape with us and listen to it in the car. Sure. Oh, we're just skipping right over the drive. Oh. Okay. At breakfast the next morning, Banta tells everyone what he learned the night before. Which is? The we went for a ride. I saw pretty clouds. <laughs> the supercomputer can analyze far more possibilities than our equipment can, Banta explains to you, Karen, and Dave. Yeah, because we set up shop in an old resort. As a result, it can begin to interpret some of the dolphins' language, which of course is nothing like our own. For the dolphins, two different sounds might mean the same thing. Or the same sound might mean two different things. It could depend on the circumstances. Or anything, really. No wonder we have trouble understanding them, you say. They could literally be saying anything. Or nothing. Who knows? We're, we're this close to a breakthrough, though. <laughs> but Jack, Dr. Vivaldi says, you say the supercomputer deciphered some of it? Banta consults his notes for a moment. This much was clear. Alceste was saying that it was time for him to go there. Hermione said... She understood. Go there, Dr. Vivaldi echoes. But where? That we don't know, Banta says. The dolphins didn't need to say more. Hermione evidently knew what Alceste was referring to. They speak in vagaries. <laughs> was that all they said, you ask? 
No, they talked about a lot of other things, Banta said, but even the supercomputer couldn't decipher most of it. Of course, the more recordings it listens to, the more data it will compile. Eventually, we should be able to understand most of what they say. This is extraordinary, Dr. Vivaldi says. But what fascinates me most is that the dolphins seem to have been talking about many things they would never discuss when humans were around. Do you really think it's fair to spy on them? Karen asks. You're out of the program, Karen. If dolphins are so smart, why do they think that we can understand them? <laughs> why would they not hide their just... conversations? Yeah. I've thought about that, Banta says. If, no, he hasn't. <laughs> if I were caught spying on humans this way, I'd be pretty embarrassed. Why should I not pay the same respect to these creatures who may be just as intelligent and aware as we are? It's in the interest of science, Dave says. A lot of bad things have been done in the interest of science, you point out. Like spying on dolphins. <laughs> but we aren't going to harm the dolphins. If anything, we want to help them, Dave says. That's true, says Dr. Vivaldi. So I think I'll approve Jack's snooping. But we must remember that although we wouldn't use what we learned to hurt the dolphins, there are others who might. For that reason, we must keep everything we find secret until we're sure that no harm can come from revealing it. I still don't fully understand what the end game is here. Like, so you figure out their language. Like, how's that going to lead to bad people manipulating the dolphins? Like, I don't know. And what are we going to use? With, I guess we're just going to talk about banality with them. Fair enough, Banta says. On that basis, we'll keep up the secret monitoring of the dolphin talk for now. But what I'd really like to do is follow Alceste on his trip there. Oh yeah, sounds like a good idea. If he hasn't already left, you say. He may have. I saw him off the dock just before breakfast, Frank says. He nudged against some other dolphins and then took off toward the inlet. Are they like microchipped or tagged or anything that we can like GPS track them? Probably not. That would be unethical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could follow him in the catamaran, you say. Frank shakes his head. Alceste would know that we were following him. Dr. Vivaldi nods. Dolphins can hear boats miles away, even sailboats. If this place is something they talk about only in secret, they're certainly not going to lead us to it. That is, unless you put on this dolphin costume. Oh man, we can only hope. If only there were another way of following him, Banta says. Dr. Vivaldi looks thoughtful for a moment. Submarine? Suddenly she Submarine. Suddenly she grins. There is another way. You've all seen that advertising blimp over the island. Grace Segovia, the owner, is a good friend of mine. She's fascinated by dolphins. In fact, she's one of the trustees of the Institute. We could follow Alceste in the blimp. Banta's face lights up. It's perfect! Dolphins aren't afraid of birds or planes. As long as the dolphin is flying to wherever he needs to get to, <laughs> it's perfect. They don't care if it's going to rain. They aren't in the habit of looking up at the sky. They think it's a sky dolphin anyway. Dolphins never look at the sky. Dr. Vivaldi gets up from the table. I'm going to go call Grace right now. The moon is almost full. If the weather holds, we could track Alceste even at night. She turns to Frank. Take the jeep out to the point and see if you can spot Alceste going through the inlet. Bring your radio phone so you can let us know where he heads once he's out in the ocean. So we're doing this all like binocularly? Mm -hmm. From a blimp? Okay, good stuff. Don't want to spook the dolphin. <laughs> you bet Frank hurries out. No, we don't want the dolphin to know that we're on to him. 
Dr. Vivaldi follows him. A few minutes later, she returns. Grace loved the idea. <laughs> Not only is she willing to lend us the blimp, she'll even come along to pilot it. <laughs> now we have no time to waste. I'd like an intern to come with me on the blimp. She lays a hand on your shoulder. You've shown the most initiative by working in the lab with Jack Banta, so I'm <laughs> giving you first choice. You can leave with me in five minutes for the airport or stay here and work on the computers. I'd like to come along, you say immediately. Are you sure? I better warn you, the blimp trip will probably be quite tedious, she says. More tedious than staying here working on the fucking computers. Yeah. We got rewarded for that, though. You won't be able to go swimming or sailing for quite a while, and tracking Alceste will mean staring down at the ocean through binoculars hour after hour. Ugh. The biggest discovery might come right here in the computer lab. So think about it before you make up your mind. If you decide to go on the blimp, turn to 76. If you decide to stay at the cove, turn to 108. I mean, I'm not really liking any of these choices no. so far. We could just do a theme of staying in the lab. Or we could go on the blimp. I'm fine with the blimp. Yeah. I don't know if I really want to stay in the lab again. Yeah, let's do the blimp. I'll go with you on the blimp, you say. Good, Dr. Vivaldi is already headed toward the door. Get your things together, she says over her shoulder. Hurry! What what things are you talking about? Your duffel bag. I guess. Just, just your, your generic the, things. Your duffel bag that Jack Banta kept. Just <laughs> whatever's laying around you at the time. Silverware. A few minutes later, you and Dr. Vivaldi are in her car on your way to the airport. You hang on to the hand grip as Dr. Vivaldi whips the car around one mountainous curve after the other. You reach the airport in what must be record time and screech to a stop in front of the blimp. A short, dark-haired woman wearing a tan flight jacket breaks off her conversation with two ground personnel and walks briskly toward you. So, Nira, she calls to Dr. Vivaldi. Here I am, ready to go dolphin chasing. Dr. Vivaldi jumps out of the car. You're great to do this on such short notice, Grace. What can I say? I like excitement, Grace says with a grin. Dr. Vivaldi turns and introduces you. Grace gives you a vigorous handshake, then turns back to Dr. Vivaldi. Frank Schaefer called a couple minutes ago. He said that when we lost sight of Alceste, the dolphin was swimming at about ten knots headed north-northwest. Then there's no time to lose, Dr. Vivaldi says. Let's get going. It's a blimp's top speed, I wonder. One. Ten minutes later, you're airborne in the blimp, cruising over the ocean. Grace estimates that you'll catch up with Alceste in a little over half an hour. You scan the surface of the waves through your binoculars. The ocean is quite calm, with only occasional whitecaps on the crests of the swells. But after half an hour has passed, you still see no sign of the dolphin. Because it's water. a water animal. <laughs> yeah, because he's under the water. Dr. Vivaldi glances at her watch. It's still a little too soon, she says. Give it another five minutes or so. I hope Alceste doesn't change course, you say. Dr. Vivaldi shows you the chart she is holding. She runs her finger along the north coast of Kauai. I don't think he'll change his course until he rounds this point, she says. She picks up her binoculars. We'll both keep watch until we spot him. Fifteen more minutes pass, then twenty. Dr. Vivaldi begins to look worried. She asks Grace to slow down and steer the blimp in a circle. Maybe Alceste decided to take some time out to chase a few fish, you say. Dr. Vivaldi nods. You're probably right. No, that dolphin gave us the slip. Whoever would have guessed. Trixie dolphins. 
Then you spot a dolphin breaking the surface. You recognize the nick in the dorsal fin. It's Alceste! I see him, you cry. Dr. Vivaldi trains her binoculars on the spot where you're pointing. But the dolphin has already submerged. She watches until he surfaces again. It's Alceste, all right. Good work, she smiles at you. Now comes the boring part I warned you about. <laughs> really? <laughs> now? You and I will take turns keeping Alceste in sight. I'll take the first shift. You might want to try to get some shut-eye. We don't know how far he's going, and we have to stay alert. During the hours that follow, you and Dr. Vivaldi take turns peering down at the traveling dolphin through your binoculars. Your patience pays off. About mid-afternoon of the second day, Alceste joins a large group of dolphins that are diving repeatedly in the same area, often staying down for 15 or 20 minutes at a time. There's something down there that the dolphins find very interesting, you say. What can it be? I plan to find out, Dr. Vivaldi says. It's harpoon! She begins to rig a hydrophone to a line. We'll drop this into the water and see what we can hear. Then I'll drop a sono buoy that will take echo pictures of the seafloor. Yeah, they're, they're not going to notice that at all. Grace keeps the blimp hovering about a hundred feet over the spot where the dolphins are diving. Dr. Vivaldi begins lowering the hydrophone into the water. You glance around looking for more dolphins and notice a small yacht about a mile away. It appears to be heading your way. You point it out to Dr. Vivaldi. Pirates or something. It's Japan! <laughs> Dr. Vivaldi glances at the yacht, scowling. They're probably curious about what a blimp is doing here. Call them on the radio phone and ask them to stay well clear. Tell them we're doing scientific research. Dr. Vivaldi straps on her earphones and hunches over the small portable computer that will help her monitor the dolphin sounds. Yeah, you're doing research in a blimp. <laughs> you set the transmitter for general short-distance transmission, then hold down the speaker button. Yacht on course, 045. This is the blimp dead ahead of you. Do you read me? The answer comes back immediately. This is Sea Fox. We read you. You glance out the window. The yacht is still heading right toward you. Sea Fox, please stay well clear of the area, you say. We're doing scientific research. This is Sea Fox. We understand your request. What kind of scientific research? You're not sure how to respond. You remember Banta's warning about all the unscrupulous people who would like to use the dolphins for their own greedy purposes. Maybe you should pretend to be conducting a geographic survey or something, just that's, in case. That's classified. But the voice from the sea fox sounded friendly and curious, not threatening. Besides, the yacht is probably close enough by now for its passengers to see the dolphins themselves. If they suspect that you're lying, it could pique their curiosity even more. And if they don't change course soon, the whole project will be ruined. If you tell the truth, turn to page 30. If you tell them you're conducting a geographic survey, turn to page 70. I mean, if the option is to lie, I say we lie. Okay, we'll lie. Lion. None of your business. We're looking for rocks in the ocean, none of your business. <laughs> you immediately radio the yacht. This is the blimp to the northwest. We are conducting a geographic survey. Please keep clear. Understood. Somebody on the yacht radios back. We will comply with your request. Thank you. You sign off. Then watch the yacht through the binoculars. It changes course, and after a moment you can see that there's a cloth draped over the registration number on the bow. When you tell Dr. Vivaldi this, she grabs the binoculars and takes a look. I'll notify the Coast Guard, she says. Aren't you, like, literally in the middle of the ocean? Yes. This is like the second day of following this dolphin. 
Wait, we followed them for two days? Yeah. Yeah. They said this is like the second day. Yeah. On day the two. The dolphin was going like 20 knots. On day two, he joined a group of other dolphins, and then now they're all diving in the same spot. Yeah, I started to think like, how are blimps fueled, and how long does blimp fuel last? Because we are literally like between Hawaii and Samoa. There's nothing there. I'll notify the Coast Guard, she says, though the yacht will probably be gone by the time they can get out here to investigate. When you get back to the Dolphin Institute, Dr. Vivaldi transmits her sonar pictures to the supercomputer for analysis. She has the results by early the next day, and she calls together the staff members and interns to review them. Banta, Karen, and Dave are eager to talk about what they've learned from studying tapes of dolphin conversations in the cove, but it's obvious that Dr. Vivaldi has more important news. The sound picture shows a whole city down there. <gasps> the dolphins have a city! She tells the assembled group, her voice betraying her excitement. They built a city? You mean the dolphins can build cities? Dave asks incredulously. No, they murdered the Atlanteans. They took it from them. Boy, Jar and Dave are on the same page. <laughs> what page? 69? 44. <laughs> Not build, Dr. Vivaldi says. Find. How can that be? Karen asks. A city under the ocean? It's like Atlantis, Dr. Vivaldi says. Exactly like Atlantis. The city might be called Pacifis. It was obviously built by some ancient island people of the Pacific. I would guess that the land it was built on slowly sank under sea. For a while, the residents must have worked desperately to hold water back with dikes. Then perhaps an earthquake struck and the whole city was submerged. But it's a remarkably well-preserved. This is quite a discovery, you say. Indeed. Dr. Vivaldi runs her hand through her hair. Her mouth is drawn into a thin line. You seem worried, Nira. I am, she says. The dolphins are so happy swimming around that city, they come from great distances to visit it. But if word got out about it, every treasure hunter in the world would be diving down there, looking for gold and jewels, littering the place, drilling, blasting, destroying the dolphins' world. She clenches her fists. The dolphins have a secret, and we must keep it for them. As you listen to this, conflicting thoughts whirl around your mind. You'd like to let the dolphins keep their city untouched, but you can't help thinking about the unimaginable treasures that may be hidden there. Treasures. <laughs> You'd like to get in on the treasure hunt yourself. Obviously, you can't do both. If you decide to help keep the dolphin's city a secret, turn to page 90. If you decide to become a treasure hunter, turn to page 39. Ooh. Let's turn heel. Which one is going to get us to an, uh, the end fastest? <laughs> Probably making the bad choice. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's rob that city. Yeah, and we're we're done with this stupid dolphin research institute. The chance of uncovering incredible riches is too great a temptation. A few days later, after the meeting, a tidal wave strikes the island. There are no serious injuries, but Dr. Vivaldi announces that the institute will be closing for the rest of the summer in order to repair the property that was damaged. You pretend to leave behind the island with the other interns, but in actuality, you take a room at a small inn nearby, using the extra money you brought along for the summer to pay your room and board. That weekend, you go into town and walk along the docks where charter boats are lined up. One of them, named the Emmy Lou, has a sign that says, Captain Bob's Scuba Diving Trips. A man with a grizzled beard and a yachting cap is sitting on a deck chair on the dock, feet up on a crate reading a magazine. You walk over to him. So that was a tsunami just for no reason. Yep. <laughs> yep. 
just to close down the thing so we're free to go rob the city. Otherwise, it would be very suspicious if we just left. Yeah. Are you Captain Bob, you ask? That's my handle, he says, barely looking up. Ever dive for treasure? He peers at you over the magazine. Not in a long time. My customers mostly want to look at the fish. We dive near reefs or old wrecks. The fish love wrecked ships. Would you be interested in looking for treasure, you say? The mariner takes off his cap and scratches his forehead. Sure, if you know where some is. I do, you say. He tosses the magazine aside and eyes you closely. Really? How much treasure are you talking about? A whole city full, you say. Oh, you don't say, he says. Now who told you a yarn like that? The captain's tone is sarcastic, but he has a glitter in his eye. You know he's interested, despite his skepticism. Let's just say I learned it from the dolphins, you say. Let's not. Let's not say that. You've been out at that Dolphin Institute? <clears throat> yes, we followed them in a blimp and they led us to a city that we assume has treasure in it, but aren't really sure. I was a summer intern, but not anymore, you answer. There are better things to do. Okay, Captain Bob says, getting to his feet. Just where is this city full of treasure? Can you find it on the chart? Yes, you say. I know the latitude and longitude. I'll show you once we're on our way. You can bring anyone else along that you want, but I get half of anything we find. <laughs> you get the other half. You can split it up any way you want. Captain Bob looks you in the eye. You're a tough bargainer, he says. <laughs> How far away is this treasure? About 150 miles, you say. We can get there in a day, if the weather stays this good. We're apparently expert seafaring people now. Mm -hmm. yeah. He looks up at the deep blue sky. Weather looks like it will hold, he says. But how can I be sure you know what you're talking about? <clears throat> Look, you say, I wouldn't want to spend a couple of days rocking around in a small boat if I didn't have a good reason. The mariner chews on his lip for a moment. Then he says, business is kind of slow right now. Guess I'll take a chance. Not much to lose. And a lot to gain, you say. He scowls at you. Yeah, I've heard that one before. The following morning at 6 a.m., you board the Emmy Lou. Captain Bob and his first mate, Harry, are already on deck. Harry is one of the top divers around here, Captain Bob says, Don't gesturing care. toward the other man who nods at you. Harry is small but muscular, with the leathery skin of someone who's spent a life at sea. Don't care about that either. You hold out your hand. He shakes it so hard it hurts. Harry casts off the lines. Captain Bob coaxes the boat out into the channel, then guns the engine. A few minutes later, the boat passes through the inlet, rolling and pitching as it plows into the ocean depths. You give Captain Bob the latitude and longitude of the Dolphin City and follow him to the work table, where he marks the spot on the chart. Interesting, he says, pointing. It says here that there are breakers right there. That's usually a sign of dangerous shoals. There's so little water over them that when a bit of the sea is running, the wave breaks just as if they were coming up on the beach. Ships and boats stay clear of places like that. He looks at you suspiciously. That's probably why the city hasn't been discovered, you say. Captain Bob grunts. Maybe so. He measures the distance on the chart. We should be there before sundown, he says. We'll drop a marker, boy, and then just lay off overnight, taking turns on watch. We'll start diving at dawn. If there's treasure down there, we'll find it. I gotta murder a few dolphins, maybe. Also, do you know how to scuba dive? The Emmy Lou plows through the light chop on the ocean most of the day. 
It's about four in the afternoon when Captain Bob yells down from the wheelhouse. Latitude north 22 degrees 50 feet. Longitude west 158 degrees 17 feet. That's where you told us to go and that's where we are. Does it look familiar? (laughs) (laughs) Harry guffaws and you smile a little at this joke. One patch of ocean looks like any other. Okay, they were trying to be... They were trying to be funny. Mm -hmm. But then he went and explained the joke. Yep. (laughs) Depth here is only 90 feet and very irregular, Captain Bob says. We could be over that city of yours right now. Hey, a dolphin, Harry shouts suddenly. You and Captain Bob turn to look at where he's pointing. One dolphin after another arches out of the water, their eyes on your boat. After a moment, they dive and disappear beneath the waves. I have a feeling this is the spot, you say. Okay. Bob throttles down the idling speed. Get your scuba gear on. We can get a dive in before sunset. Harry, who is an expert diver, helps you with your scuba gear, shows you how it works, and reviews the safety rules with you. Yeah, you've never done this. This will be fun. (laughs) Meanwhile, Captain Bob has rigged up a ladder and a floating platform at the stern of the boat. You and Harry step down onto the platform and leap into the ocean. You descend slowly through silvery blue layers of ocean, straining to see what's on the bottom. The first thing you see is a submerged coral reef running along the ocean floor like the backbone of a mountain ridge. Strange and beautiful plants and coral formations protrude from the reef. Hundreds of colorful species of fish swim around it. Then you see an astonishing sight. The ruins of an underwater stone building. Its roof is missing, its columns broken or fallen. There's a similar building beside it, mostly intact. And nearby is a row of columns with arched spans supporting what's left of a marble floor. You've found the underwater city, the playground of the dolphins. You look off to one side and almost faint with fear. A shark is coming at you. A second later, you realize it's not a shark, but a dolphin. (laughs) You learned nothing at that Dolphin Research Institute. But why is it coming so close? Maybe it wants you to pet it. Yeah, that's what it wants. You hold out your arms. The dolphin nuzzles into your stomach, causing you to bend forward. You wrap your arms around its snout, trying to reduce the pressure on your stomach. The dolphin is not hurting you, but it keeps moving, propelling you upward ever more steeply until you break through the surface, still perched on its nose. With a final thrust, the dolphin tosses you high in the air. You come down with a tremendous splash. A second later, another dolphin sends Harry even higher in the air, and he too lands with a splash. Get the fuck out. Then the dolphins are gone, and Captain Bob is yelling to you from the boat. That was incredible! You two okay? Harry must be. He's laughing so hard he gets water down his windpipe. He starts coughing and wheezing and barely makes it to the boat. Captain Bob helps him aboard, then gives you a hand up over the rail. There are ruins of a city down there, you say as you step aboard. It's amazing! You sit on the deck, rubbing your chest. Your ribcage is a little sore from having been pushed so hard by the dolphin. Captain Bob slaps his knee. We've got it made, he cries. A whole city down there with plenty of treasure. I bet, and nothing but dolphins to guard it. Why would dolphins guard treasure, you ask? Gold and jewels aren't worth anything to them. Just the same, Captain Bob says. I'm sure there's something valuable down there, and I'm going to find out what it is. I don't want to go down there again, Harry said. The dolphins might get rougher next time. I'll dive down there myself and take my spear gun, Captain Bob says. Heck yeah. I think the dolphins will be smart enough to stay clear of me. 
Harry stands up and looks over the side. There are several dolphins cruising along on the surface about 100 feet away. He turns back to Captain Bob. Listen, Skipper, I think we better get out of here. I've got bad feelings about what's going to happen if we stay around. Captain Bob looks over at you. What do you think? You're the one who got us out here. Are you with me or not? If you decide to dive again with Captain Bob, turn to page 93. If you advise Captain Bob to take the hint and leave, turn to page 60. If we dive, that might end it. Yeah, that one might end it, but I, I say we push our luck. Push our luck. Okay. And leave. <clears throat> no. <laughs> push our luck and dive. All right. Let's go for it, Captain, you say with a grin. I don't want to throw away the chance of finding some of that valuable treasure you were just talking about. Good. Captain Bob turns and starts putting on his scuba gear. <clears throat> Harry slumps in his seat. He keeps shaking his head, saying, I don't like it. I don't like it. Captain Bob pokes you in the ribs, forgetting that they're sore. Harry's a superstitious sort, he says. I've never been able to teach him to get over it. He picks up his spear gun. I'll go down and check things out while you rest up from your last dive, kid. Then, if all goes well, we'll go down together. He gives a mock salute and goes over the side, spear gun in hand. You and Harry stand at the rail, looking anxiously down at the water, waiting for Captain Rob to come up. A half hour passes. You know his air must be running out. One of us should go down after him, you say to Harry. Not it. Harry shakes his head. That would be foolish. There's nothing we can do to help him now. You nod silently, knowing that Harry is right. Captain Bob will never be seen again. You and Harry turn the Emmy Lou back toward Kauai. The two of you agree never to tell anyone about the City of the Dolphins. As far as you know, it's still there. The end. Huh. So do you, like, go back to the Dolphin Research Institute and just keep that a secret for the rest of your life? Let's say yes. Well, at the end of the summer, we go home to yeah. whatever Midwest city we live in. Huh. And probably never go back to the Dolphin Institute research. We just got to live with that secret that we got it murdered by dolphins. Yep. Oh, that one was long. <laughs> it, and like the problem with some of these longer ones too, where it's like multiple, multiple pages and then less and less choices. Like I feel maybe even if the story writing is okay or whatever, having less choices kind of disengages you when you're looking for that choose your own adventure sort of flavor you know mm -hmm. so i didn't really feel as engaged in it per se yeah until the treasure hunt and then uh, apparently that i mean we all knew that probably wasn't going to go anywhere but it still sure. uh you know seemed like a fun possible option so better than windsurfing um i don't recommend it yeah me neither yeah me neither so, yeah. two, three, what's the opposite of check mark? <laughs> oh man, I can't remember anymore. I don't remember either. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back and minus A minus sign, I think it was. <laughs> I think it was a little. Oh, X. Was it an X? Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm glad you got it because I was going to guess a little drawing of a turd or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. Uh, if you want to check out more stuff from Choose Your Adventure, go to CYOA.com. If you want to check out stuff by Edward Packard, go to EdwardPackard.com. Uh, I'm Jason. Wait, and, and us. Wait. Oh, yeah. Go to IncrediblyDaring.com for all your incredibly daring needs. I'm Jason. 
I'm Connie. I'm Jeremy. The end.